Good morning. Welcome to The Point, the radio ministry of Life Point Baptist Church of Early Texas. Life Point meets for Sunday school at 10 a.m., morning worship at 11 a.m., and we meet at the Early Chamber of Commerce Small Business Incubator Facility, which is located at 104 East Industrial Drive in Early. That's just off of Highway 377 behind where the new townhomes are being built. We'd love to meet with you this morning, be able to worship with you and pray with you, but if we don't get to meet today, perhaps sometime in the near future. We'd like to let you know about a new ministry we have at Life Point Baptist Church, that is the daily devotionals being posted online. You can go to our blog at point2life.wordpress.com, point2life.wordpress.com. Click on the subscribe button and you will have daily devotionals in your inbox every single day. If you're already a WordPress user, that's another way that you can follow as well. We also post those to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash point2life. If you will, join me in the scriptures this morning. We'll be reading Luke chapter 6, verses 27 through 36. Luke chapter 6, verses 27 through 36. In Luke chapter 6, verse 27, the Bible says, But I say unto you, which hear, love your enemies, do good to them which hate you. These are the words of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Verse 28 says, Bless them that curse you, and pray for them which despitefully use you. And unto him that smiteth thee on the one cheek, offer also the other. And him that taketh away thy cloak, forbid not to take thy coat also. Give to every man that asketh of thee, and of him that taketh away thy goods, ask them not again. And as ye would that men should do to you, do ye also to them likewise. For if ye love them which love you, what thank have ye? For sinners also love those that love them. And if ye do good to them which do good to you, what thank have ye? For sinners also do even the same. And if ye lend to them of whom ye hope to receive, what thank have ye? For sinners also lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love ye your enemies, and do good, and lend, hoping for nothing again, and your reward shall be great, and ye shall be the children of the highest, for he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. Be ye therefore merciful, as your Father also is merciful. I'd like to talk to you this morning on the subject of love. Love. What is love? How we should love? Why we should love? Who we should love? This is the teaching of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ here in Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6 records the Sermon on the Mount preached by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ as he sat on the Mount talking to his disciples. Now Jesus Christ here is preaching the Sermon on the Mount to his disciples and it's significant that he is preaching to his disciples. Dr. A.J. Kirkland, the former president of Texas Baptist Institute Seminary, often referred to this sermon as the inaugural address of Jesus. It's at this point that he had gathered and mobilized his apostles, and it's at this point that he is shifting his earthly ministry into high gear, and so he is giving instruction to the apostles and to his disciples. And that's why it's significant that the Lord is preaching to his disciples. If this sermon had been preached to the general public, if this sermon had been directed toward the masses, then one may get the idea that you could earn salvation by doing the things contained within this sermon, however possible those things may seem. However, this sermon being preached by Christ to his disciples changes the context. 
This sermon doesn't give us a way of salvation. This sermon does not tell us what we have to do in order to enter into the kingdom of God. Rather, this sermon details what Christ expects of his disciples, what Christ expects of his apostles, what Christ expects of those who follow him, who learn from him, and who serve him. These things you do not in order to earn salvation, because if you're talking to a disciple of Christ, then you're talking to somebody who is already saved. No, when you are talking to someone who is already saved, when Jesus talks to those who are already saved, he's not telling them how to be saved. He's telling them how he expects them to behave and the character he expects them to have as they serve him. So the Sermon on the Mount was preached by Jesus Christ to his disciples, and in it, he outlines what he expects his disciples to do, how he expects them to live, and what he expects their attitudes to be. Now, in this passage of the Sermon on the Mount, the Lord commands his followers to live a lifestyle of love. Here in chapter 6 and verse 27, he says, But I say unto you, which hear, love your enemies, do good to them which hate you. To show how serious the Lord is about his commandment to love and to live a lifestyle of love, he tells us, his disciples, to love our enemies. He has called and commanded us to love the unlovable. You see, when Jesus says to love your neighbor, you may have a really good neighbor. You may have a nice neighbor. We've got great neighbors. My wife and kids and I, our neighbors are golden. The lady across the street allows the kids to play on her property. The neighbors next door look after our home when we're out of town. The neighbors down the street buy the chocolate bars that my kids have to sell for school fundraisers. We've got a lot of great neighbors, and hopefully you've got good neighbors as well. When Jesus says to love your neighbor, that might not be a hard thing to do because you may have some really good neighbors. When he tells you to love your brothers and sisters in Christ, they may that may not be a hard thing to do because you may surround yourself with lovable Christians who are easy to do good to. But Jesus is so serious about this concept of love that he tells us to love everyone, not just our friends, family, neighbors, brothers and sisters in Christ, but he also tells us to love our enemies, to love those who are opposed to us, to love the unlovable. And it's when we learn to love those who oppose us, when we learn to love those who are unlovable, it's when we do that that we truly begin to reflect the character of God. It is this commandment that is a vital part of the Christian life. Love is what marks us as believers. Love is what marks us as followers of Jesus Christ. In commanding us to love, Our Lord tells us three things here in Luke chapter 6. He tells us what love is by describing it. He also tells us whom we should love, and he tells us why we should love. So let's talk about what love is. Now, in the Greek language, there were three words that are often translated into English as the word love. Three words the Greeks used to describe love. The first was eros. Now, this is romantic love, romantic infatuation, romantic attraction. It carries with it the connotation of romantic passion. This is the love that brings men and women together, and they wind up 
falling in love and becoming loving toward each other, and eros can develop into a higher form of love. But eros in and of itself is nothing more than romantic love, romantic infatuation, romantic attraction, the things that motivated Shakespeare to write the sonnets and 80s rock artists to write the songs that they wrote and 95% of Hallmark movies and everything else is eros. The second word translated love from the Greek language is the word philos. That means a brotherly love, a brotherly kindness, a brotherly affection. The city of Philadelphia is known as the city of brotherly love. Philadelphia's name comes from a Greek word, Philadelphia, which means to extend brotherly love and brotherly kindness. And Philadelphia is a derivative of the Greek word philos or phileo, depending on the tense of the verb that you are looking at. But the third word that the Greeks used to describe love is the word agape. And you may have heard this word before, the word agape, agape love. Now, agape love is the highest form of love. Agape love is a self-sacrificial love. Agape love places the needs of the other person over your own. Agape love is unconditional. It's also eternal. It doesn't fade. Agape love doesn't get tired and decide to give up. Agape love doesn't turn away when one's needs have not been met. It's the highest form of love, unconditional, never-ending, placing the emphasis on taking care of the other person above ourselves. This love gives without considering what it may receive in return. This love does not think of giving as an investment or an opportunity to be able to cash in the chips later. It gives knowing it may never recoup what it is given. This love often transforms the recipient into a better, stronger individual as love has also been known to heal. And perhaps that's why Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said that agape love the highest form of love, has within it a certain redemptive quality. Agape love can be used to win the lost, to help those who do not believe, to come to know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Agape love can be used to show that there's a better way. Agape love has within it the ability to transform individuals. And it's the agape love that Christ referenced in our passage. Jesus says in verse 31, he describes agape love. He tells us to love our enemies and to do good to those that hate us. And then he explains to us how to do that. In verse 31, Jesus says, and as ye would that men should do to you, do ye also to them likewise. In this verse, Jesus is teaching us how to love. And the way we love is by taking action and by doing good, doing things to the benefit of the one that we love. And the litmus test that Christ gives us here is that if this is something that you would like done for you, then it's something you should do for others. You see, showing agape love means giving for the other person, meeting the other person's needs. Now, we all know how we would like to be treated. We all know what we would like people to do for us. We all know how we would like to be addressed, how we would like to be respected. If this is something that you would like done for you, then Jesus tells you, by all means, do it for others. He says, and as ye would that men should do to you, do ye also 
to them likewise. Conversely, if it's something that you would not want done to you, then you should not do that to someone else. The profound aspect of verse 31, which is also known as the golden rule and more commonly quoted as saying, do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. The profound aspect of this verse as it relates to love that Jesus is talking about here in Luke chapter six is that it teaches you to shift the focus from yourself to others. Again, we all know how we would want to be treated. We know what we would like done for us. This verse tells us, now go and do that for others. And by doing that for others, we are treating people the way we would like to be treated, but we're evaluating how our actions and how what we do affects others, how they perceive it, how they interpret it, and how it either benefits them or hurts them. And so looking at it from that perspective, this verse, to do unto others as we would have them do unto us, this shifts our attention from our needs, our wants, our desires, our demand for respect, and shifts that focus onto the other. And that's the very essence of agape love. The concept of agape love, the love that focuses on the other person instead of ourselves, is supported by scripture. So the love that I'm describing to you that's outwardly focused, that's focused on others, that concept of love is supported by scriptures, not just in the words used for love, but in the way the scriptures describe this love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 8 say, Charity, which the word charity here is translated from the Greek word agape. And charity truly is sacrificial giving. Now, we think of charity as dropping a few pennies into a Salvation Army kettle as we walk into the big box store. But in all reality, if you go back to 1611, when these words were being translated, to give to charity truly was sacrificial because disposable income was something that the people in the 1600s just didn't really have a concept of. So when you see charity and you think of giving to charity, back in the 1600s, that truly was a sacrificial gift. And so it's entirely appropriate that that the King James translators translated the word agape into charity. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 8, the Bible says, Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things, charity never faileth. Charity, here translated from the Greek word agape, which is this highest form of love that we are talking about, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 describes this love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 tells us that love is patient, that love puts up with folks, that love endures with the person being loved, that love stays together. It suffers long. It is patient. It endures. It stays together. It puts up with the other person's shortcomings. That sounds like a lot of marriages. A lot of marriages stay together because the two individuals love each other. They drive each other up the wall. They annoy each other. They get upset with each other. They become angry with each other. But because they love each other, because they have agape love toward each other, their marriages stay together. I saw an interesting picture on Facebook of an elderly couple, and the caption read that marriage 
is finding that special someone that you want to annoy for the rest of your life. This is what makes a successful marriage. Endurance. And that endurance, that patience, comes from the fact that you have agape love for each other. Love is not self-serving. It's not looking for what it can get out of the deal, but rather focuses on the other. The Bible says that love believes all things and hopes all things. Love has faith and love has hope. Love trust. Love trusts the Lord to work in their lives. Love has a confident expectation that the love will not be in vain. And then at the end of this passage, the Bible says charity or love never faileth. That word faileth means to cease. And the context on that, if you continue reading 1 Corinthians chapter 13, there are a number of other spiritual gifts that the Apostle Paul wrote would cease, that would end. Now, we debate when that's going to happen or when it has happened, but the fact that we are focused on this morning is that love never fails. Love never quits. Love never ends. Agape love, the highest form of love, is an eternal love that's focused on the recipient of the love and not the one who is giving the love. Now, Philippians chapter 2, verse 4 speaks to this. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 4 says, Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. This is how you put love into action. You focus on the needs of the others. And then the writer of Philippians goes on to take it to the next level by comparing it to Christ. Philippians 2, verses 5 through 8 go on to say, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross." You see, when the Bible says, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others, the Bible immediately gives us Jesus Christ as the example there. You see, because Jesus Christ didn't look only on his things, but he looked on the things of others. He looked on our things. You see, before Jesus Christ came into the world, before he was born of a virgin, he was part of the Trinity that was in heaven with God the Father and God the Spirit. He was God the Son. And the Bible tells us that he was in the beginning with God. He was God. He was with God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were created by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. All right? The Bible tells us in Colossians chapter 1 that all things were made by him and all things were made for him. And so when you look in Genesis chapter 1 and you see in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, that word God comes from a Hebrew word Elohim, which means multiple three or more. Of course, we know that the Godhead has three parts, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And so Christ was there in the beginning. Jesus prayed, and he was there in the creation, and the angels praised him during the creation. So he's making some big things happen here, and he is getting a standing ovation every time he does something. In John chapter 17, in the high priestly prayer of Jesus Christ, Jesus told God the Father, Thou lovest me before the world ever was. So before the world was ever created, you had Christ in heaven, in the throne room, with God the Father, and God the Spirit, enjoying this close, loving fellowship with God the Father. Everything was going just fine. He had it made. 
He was surrounded by the glories of heaven, being praised by the angels and enjoying that close fellowship with God the Father and God the Spirit. And had Christ been only looking at his own things, he would have been minded to stay in heaven. Yet Christ did not look only on his own things. He began looking on our situation. He saw our hopelessness. He saw our condemnation. And being moved with love and compassion toward us, took on the form of a man and went to the cross to redeem us from sin. You see, he himself lived out Philippians 2, 4, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. And that's the mindset that we should have. I read an article in Forbes recently that says everybody should have two jobs. And I thought, you know, this was going to tell me that I should have my full-time job and a side job, a part-time job, a weekend job, maybe a little business venture. Of course, I've already got two jobs, if you want to think of it that way. I've got the ministry over at LifePoint Baptist Church, and I've also got the talk show here at Newest Talk 102.3 KXYL and AM 1240, so I already have two jobs. But that's not what the Forbes article was talking about. What the Forbes article was talking about, now this is a secular financial publication. What the Forbes article was talking about is the two jobs that we have. The first job is the job that we have, our vocation, the one that you clock into every morning or every evening, depending on what shift you work. The second job that we have, which is the more important, is to build each other up on that job, to be an encouragement to others, to help others, to be the light in the office, to support others in their jobs and in their efforts, and to help them, to stand behind people, to to offer encouragement, to offer praise, to offer recognition to others, to be the voice in the office that lifts everybody else up. Forbes wrote that that is our second job. The first job is the one we clock into. The second one is how we conduct ourselves with other employees while we're on that job. It's a biblical concept. The Lord wants us to love. In this passage, he tells us to love our enemies. Those are our opponents. Those are the ones that we're competing with for the promotions at work. Those are the ones who hate us. Those are the ones who want us to go away. Those are the ones who complain about us behind our backs at the water coolers. Jesus wants us to love them, to be focused on their needs, to be focused on what would be good for them and to do good unto them, even though they wouldn't do that in return to us. That's what we should be doing. That's agape love, unconditional, focused on the other person, never ending. Now, why should we do that? First of all, we should do that. We should love our enemies because God first loved us. Verse 36, Jesus says, be ye therefore merciful as your father also is merciful. You see, we all sinned against God. Romans 3.10 says, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. And Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 5.12 puts it this way. Wherefore, as by one man, sin entered into the world and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. You see, we didn't merely just fall into a mass condemnation brought on by Adam's sin in the garden. That was the starting point. But we all personally sinned and rebelled against God. Therefore, God would have rightly served justice by condemning us all to hell. But in his love and mercy toward us, who were his enemies at the time, he served judgment on his only begotten son instead. In our place, Christ was our substitute 
in the judgment of God. And he did this to satisfy the need of judgment so that we could all be saved. Now, when something great happens to you, do you not want to do something great for someone else? If you suddenly come into a lot of money, you have a financial windfall, do you not want to go buy a gift for somebody? Maybe not everybody, but maybe there's somebody special you'd want to buy a gift for. When something great happens to you, don't you want to do great things for others? You should. If God was this merciful to us, should we not be merciful to others? Jesus says in verse 35, But love ye your enemies, and do good, and lend, hoping for nothing again. And your reward shall be great, and ye shall be the children of the highest, for he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. When we love our enemies, we show forth God's character. We show his mercy. We show his grace. And we demonstrate how God can love all people. This characteristic not only shows the world who God is, but it identifies us as his children. Jesus said, by our love for each other, all men will know that we are his disciples. But our love for the world can show people the love of God. And by our love for the world, people can come to know the Lord as their savior. Love transforms people. God's love for us transformed us. Our love for others can change their lives. And that's why the Lord tells us to love our enemies. Then there's whom we should love. Verse 27, Jesus says, But I say unto you which hear, love your enemies. Do good to them which hate you. We are to love our enemies. We are to love those that hate us. This love can only be expressed by doing good to them. So we are to love our enemies, those who are in opposition to us, because it's by loving our enemies that we can see them transformed to where they're no longer our enemies. Remember, love has within it a redemptive power. In verse 30, Jesus says, Give to every man that asketh of thee, and of him that taketh away thy goods, ask them not again. Not only are we to love our enemies, but we're also to love those in need. And we are called to love those who can do nothing for us in return. I read a quote once that said, You can tell a lot about a person by how he treats those who can do nothing for him. Love those who can do nothing for you in return. Everything else is simply an investment. We are also commanded by Jesus Christ in John chapter 13 to love our Christian brothers and sisters as well as our neighbors. That's who we are to love. Now, people don't love like this, and people tend to shy away from this love because they're afraid. People tend to back away from loving others in this way because they're afraid of rejection and they're afraid of betrayal, and they're afraid of being left empty-handed. But the Lord promises to bless us for loving others. If we look in verse 38, Jesus says, Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, and shaken together, and running over, shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that ye meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. Now, if you think of this in terms of financial blessings, you're going to find yourself disappointed. This verse is not talking about financial blessings, nor is it talking about material blessings. 
This verse is talking about spiritual blessings, the spiritual blessing of seeing how your love changes others. Dr. Martin Luther King made this his modus operandi, and he announced that during a sermon that he preached in 1957 while he was the pastor of Dexter Avenue Baptist Church in Montgomery, Alabama. He preached a sermon entitled, Love Your Enemies, and he discussed the redemptive power of love. He said, you may not like them, their actions or their attitudes, but you must love them. Love the sin, excuse me, love the sinner, but hate the sin. He said that love has within it a redemptive power. Over the next 11 years, Dr. King led a civil rights movement that redeemed the South from its segregationist past and its racist past because he had love for the people. If you ask Dr. King if all of that was worth the suffering he endured, he would probably tell you yes. Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, endured the worst torture and the most gruesome death ever put on any individual in this world. He gave his life and he suffered and died in order to redeem us from our sin. That redemption took place. If you ask Jesus, was it worth it? He would probably tell you yes. How can you change others and change your world by showing love? That's what the Lord is teaching us here. I'd like to invite you to Life Point Baptist Church. We meet for Sunday school at 10 a.m., morning worship at 11 a.m., and we meet at the Early Chamber of Commerce Small Business Incubator Facility, which is located at 104 East Industrial Drive in Early, just off of Highway 377 next to Pates Hardware, back behind the new townhomes that are being built. We'd love to meet with you this morning. You can also look us up online at point2life.wordpress.com and on Facebook at facebook.com slash point2life. May God bless you.